What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. With people around the world observing stay-at-home orders, a lot of us are just doing what we can to stay entertained. And yeah, we're watching a lot of TV. Even before this pandemic, though, TV networks and streaming companies were fighting for viewers. You have Amazon, you have Apple, you have Disney, you have Warner Media, you have Comcast, NBC. I mean, literally everyone who's in the media business is belatedly now trying to create a streaming service. And let's be real, there's really just one clear winner. If you cooked up a company in a lab that said, make a company that's going to thrive in a pandemic, you would make Netflix. Today on the show, senior Recode correspondent Peter Kafka walks me through the streaming wars, pandemic edition. How the pandemic has changed what we watch and how the stuff that we watch gets made in the first place. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. Now that everyone is staying at home, seems like the dream scenario for streaming businesses. How are those big players doing since the pandemic first started? Uh, It turns out that when you stick people at home and they don't have anything else to do, they are going to watch a ton of video. All of the big services have seen their engagement go up, number of hours gone up. Some of them that have reported subscriber numbers are seeing those go up. In particular, Netflix is crushing it. Netflix now has 182 million subscribers around the world. Disney, which is maybe the next closest one, is around 50. And they've grown quite fast. And everyone else is is very far behind. Now, most of them are not competing internationally the way Netflix is. But Netflix is very, very far ahead. Let's talk about that. Is this whole, like, winner status, I'm assuming that's reflected in the number of subscribers that they have and that they've gained since the beginning of the pandemic, right? Yeah, the first quarter of the year is the first three months of the year, January, February, March. As you recall, the first two months, we weren't really in lockdown mode. uh, And then we kind of went into lockdown in March. Netflix was projecting in those first three months it would get about 7 million subscribers. They ended up with 16 million. And they said that, just to be clear, All of that extra growth, that 9 million that that they weren't expecting to get, came in March. That's one month of people being sent home and saying, all right, I guess I'm going to get Netflix around the world. Wow. Which is astonishing. Yeah. Okay. So have you talked to people at Netflix? What are they saying about this? They say two things. One, we have no idea what's going to happen next, which I think is great. I like to hear that honesty from CEOs of big publicly traded companies. And two, they said, well... I guess the negative version of this is I think that if you're going to have subscribed to Netflix because of the pandemic, you've gone ahead and subscribed to Netflix. So maybe this is our entire boom. Right. And so in a culture where continued growth is seen as a sign of a healthy business, Netflix basically is saying, like, you might not see that this year because this might be it. 
Yeah, and you know what everyone else says. That is a champagne problem. That is a caviar problem. That is a Cadillac <laughs> problem, Netflix. We all wish we could have your problem that you grew so fast in the first quarter that you're really not going to grow down the line. Right. Their business model is fundamentally unchanged by the pandemic, is affordable enough that lots of people, even in a just terrible economic times, can a lot of people can afford to pay for it. They're not in any way dependent on the ad business, where nearly every other media company is seeing ads fall off a cliff. So that doesn't affect them. They're not in the live sports business. So the fact that there's no sports doesn't affect them in any way. On and on and on. And not only that, they have so much money right now. They're also able to go ahead and buy stuff from their competitors, mostly movies that these guys were planning on putting in movie theaters. They can't put them in movie theaters. Netflix is saying, we'll just buy that from you while we're at it. And also, I would argue that a lot of what Netflix does is it doesn't have to have the very best stuff. It just has to have stuff that you haven't seen. And that while you're, you used to say flipping around the channels, now you say scrolling, you go, I'll watch that. And a lot of times you didn't know you wanted to watch it. Or frankly, it's something you weren't planning on ever watching, but you saw everyone tweeting about it and talking about it. So that's Tiger King, for instance. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Joe Exotic, and this is Sarge. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma who owned 1,200 tigers and lions and bears and shit. Right. Might have done okay in another time, but everyone got sent home and everyone watched Tiger King. Okay, so Netflix is the clear winner here. Who's really losing right now in TV? All of the networks that need advertising money, which is all of them. We saw digital advertising fall off a cliff immediately because those ads are easier to sort of unplug on the advertiser side. And the TV dollars, a lot of those are spent in advance. They're harder for the advertisers to say, actually, we don't want to spend that money. That is coming now. The Wall Street Journal just reported that advertisers are looking to take a billion dollars of ad money they'd promised to spend and say, actually, no, we want that back because it's the first time they can. The biggest glaring hole for a lot of people is there are no sports. There's no NBA basketball. This should be baseball season. That is all gone. It may come back in some limited way over the next few months. It's very, very difficult for these big sports leagues to, to get up and running again. They're, they're trying to figure out how to do it. But meanwhile, you have a company like Disney, which owns ESPN, which used to be the most important part of that company, and is now just a giant black hole. With one big exception, they, they put out this uh, show called The Last Dance. It's a 10-part Michael Jordan documentary. We want to keep this excellence going. Once you reach the top, where do we go from here? That was supposed to come out in June, and they moved it up to April. That is a big hit by modern TV standards, and it's kind of the only good thing happening at ESPN. And meanwhile, they've got that, and they're showing you old baseball games, old football games, old basketball games. They're also showing you really, really... uh, uh, marginal content like NBA basketball players playing video games, which is as uncompelling as you think it would be. Yeah, there's definitely some boost in that. Oh, come on now. So are TV networks that tend to air lots of sports, are, are they actually worried right now? Like, what are you hearing? Oh, the sports problem is a significant enough problem that you see Wall Street analysts saying when sports goes, the whole rest of the TV ecosystem can go because people are paying a ton of money to carry sports on those networks. Those fees are passed along to consumers. You now have people who are paying 80 bucks, 100 bucks, $200 a month for cable going, 
okay, I was doing this so I could watch sports. There are no sports. What am I doing paying for cable? I just told you how good the first quarter of the year was for Netflix. It was the worst quarter for the pay TV distributors. They lost, I think, 2 million subscribers, their worst ever. It is not a coincidence that you saw the big cable TV distributors have their worst quarter on record at the same time that Netflix had their best quarter on record. One model works really well in a pandemic, and it's kind of the future of TV, and one gets really exposed by the pandemic and was going to sort of go away over time, and now you're accelerating that. So if things keep going the way that they are, is this the end of network TV? The theory is that all those streaming services we mentioned earlier, a lot of them are owned by the big TV guys. And what they were trying to do for a long time was say, we really like this old system because it makes a lot of money. It still makes a lot of money. We don't want to get rid of it. We can see the future is going to be this new digital version where a lot of people are going to demand on-demand streaming. Maybe they won't want ads. It's a very different business than the one we're in. We want to operate both at the same time. Um, and that's a very hard thing to do. You can, these metaphors, if you have a foot in each canoe, then you end up falling in the water. You may see them moving more quickly to the streaming service. Again, you can see bits of that mm-hmm. with Disney saying, all right, there's a thing we're going to put in the theaters, but we're going to put it on Disney Plus instead. Right. And that's going to, you're sort of training your customer to expect streaming instead of TV. The big problem, and this does affect Netflix, is no one's making any new shows anymore. Right. Um, You cannot film TV shows or movies pretty much around the world with a couple exceptions. And that is going to create a lot of problems for everyone else over the next months as they were expecting to have new series show up. All right. So streaming is up and production is down, which, depending on how this pandemic goes, could soon make for a really weird TV landscape. So are we going to run out of things to watch? And how can TV even get made under stay-at-home orders? That's after the break. This is Reset. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Peter Kafka, senior correspondent for Recode. Are we going to run out of things to watch? That is a very real fear for a lot of big networks. Even Netflix has a finite number of things in their catalog. Um, they will one day reach the end of their catalog if this goes on long enough. And to be clear, the reason for that is because a lot of TV shows are filmed months in advance and sometimes more than a year in advance, right? Yep. I mean, you can make animation without having to go to a studio, but that usually takes a long time to put together. And stuff that's already been shot, like Netflix has made the new season of The Crown, but it's not finished, but they can do the production remotely. They can work on stuff at home. Uh, Just the tiniest changes in the hair. A great many changes. But there we are. Age is rarely kind to anyone. Nothing one can do about it. One just has to get on with it. 
Oh, good, because I'm looking forward to that. You are going to get the crown. But <laughs> I know I know a couple filmmakers who've had been told to finish their stuff more quickly. I interviewed uh, this guy, Jason Hare, who made The Last Dance, that ESPN show. He was still finishing it while it was on air. Oh, wow. And doing interviews. Yeah. That's still working on it. But yeah, I mean, anything that involves getting other humans to stand on a stage or anywhere and interact with each other, we can't make right now. How else are TV networks and streaming services making content right now if they can't film like usual? They are kicking the can down the road and hoping that that answer somehow gets solved. They're kind of like everyone else, frankly. In the meantime, what you're seeing is a lot of them are saying, that thing that we were going to show you months from now, or that thing that we were going to put in theaters, you're seeing a lot of the streaming services do that. Actually, we're just going to bring it to you now, and you can either get it as part of our streaming service. Disney just announced that the uh, movie version of Hamilton, starring the original cast, is going to be on Disney Plus this summer. They were going to wait quite some time to put that out. Um, You've seen traditional movies that were supposed to be in theaters, like Trolls 2 become available. Um, you can sort of do pay-per-view for those. And again, some of those are going to end up in streaming services instead of having to pay for those. There is no answer, though. And live from Zoom, it's sometime between March and August. You saw Saturday Night Live spend the last three or four episodes of its season having uh, their cast make short films at home. It's Um, you can do that. It's it, as a novelty. There were a lot. There were skits about Zoom. Well, guys, it's been four hours. We got anything else to talk about? But you can only do that for so long. Those are going to get old after a while, right? Yep. So it sounds like it's a combination of things. Some shows are being sped up. The production of them is being sped up, so you can have stuff to air. And it kind of sounds like we might have a lot more, like, adult cartoons. And by that, I do not mean porn. I mean, like, content that is not for kids. Uh, Yes, and probably more porn, too. (laughs) Uh, There's a limit to what they can do. I mean, you know, you're seeing Disney, which a few months ago was seen as sort of the ideal modern media company. They had cable TV, they were transitioning to the streaming service, but they had this great movie business and they had a huge cruise ship business and a parks business. All of that is gone now except for their streaming service. They, For the same reason that Disney cannot reopen its parks or get people onto Disney cruise liners, it can't make new episodes of TV. Are there any other things in TV production that can still take place? Like, are TV shows still being written? The one thing you're seeing, and I'm enjoying it a lot, are the late night shows. All their hosts are at home, and all the hosts are are broadcasting, and putting that in air quotes. They're basically doing their own YouTube videos at home. And they're doing interviews, just like we're doing, over the internet. Like, I'm really enjoying Jimmy Kimmel's monologues. Hi again, it's me, James Jimmy Kimmel, from my house. It's still weird working from home. When the show ends, I don't go anywhere. I just stand here until the next one starts. He's fighting with the president on Twitter. But the president now says he disagrees with Dr. Fauci, too. He is ready to open the schools. Well, listen, in fairness to Trump, if your kids came out like Eric and Don Jr., you'd want to get schools going again soon, too. People who are funny, turns out they can be funny at home. They all have writing staffs who are writing stuff for them. That work can continue. Are TV dramas still being written right now, or are any, is anybody bothering with that? There are people in writing rooms, what used to be actual rooms, now they're Zoom rooms, who are writing episodes of next year's TV. They just can't make them. I interviewed Greg Daniels, who made The Office. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone, for any reason, ever, no matter what, 
no matter where or who or who you are with. He's made a lot of the great TV shows. He's got two new shows coming out. One is already up. It's on Amazon. He's got a Netflix show coming soon with Steve Carell. And I was asking about how he's making his next season of these shows. And he said, we've, we've got people in writing rooms, Zoom, virtually. We can do that. It's better if they're in person. I do not know how we're going to make these shows when eventually we're allowed to start making shows. I have to think about things like the fact that I've one of my actors in this Amazon show is 80-something years old. And he's great, but I don't know what level of risk he wants to take, what a level of risk we'll be allowed to take, how we'll accommodate that. And by the way, you know, wow. every workplace has a version of this. And the TV folks generally have quite strict rules about workplace safety. And I don't know how those are going to get adjusted for pandemic times. So do you think that any of these changes might end up being permanent changes to the industry that, that might last after the pandemic is over? There are structural parts of the TV business in particular that people have been talking about changing for 20 years. They're saying, well, maybe maybe that'll change now. For instance, the whole way that TV shows are produced, you order a show in a pilot, which means you were going to mm-hmm. create staff up to make an hour or half an hour of a show. Then we'll see if the network likes it. And none of that makes any sense in today's world, but we keep doing it. Some of this was already changing because the networks were being forced to respond to Netflix. One of the things that Netflix figured out quite some time ago is, you know how the TV networks, they stop showing you new stuff. Right. Netflix looked at that and said, that's stupid. We'll just show you new stuff all the time. And by the way, over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, over Memorial Day weekend, we're going to bring you some of our best shows. Yeah, when you're home so you can watch it. You've got a three-day weekend. You've got a week home with your parents. We're going to bring you The Irishman, and maybe you do want to watch a four-hour mob documentary um, just to get away from your family. And, you know, again, the networks are still in 2020 are still operating on that weird fall spring schedule where you just have months of downtime. They have real incentive to change that now. So Peter, what are people watching during the pandemic? Are there trends in types of shows that people are binging while in quarantine? I mean, there was a trend lit at the beginning of the pandemic. People noticed, hey, we're seeing that these shows about disease are are doing well on Netflix mm. and other services. Mm-hmm. We're seeing movies like Contagion from Steven Soderbergh, which is really dark. Uh, there was an earlier one with Dustin Hoffman called Outbreak. Oh, yeah. There was a show about pandemics, I think, on Netflix called Pandemic. They were all doing well. And again, as a New Yorker, where you're hearing sirens go by, I thought, I don't want to watch any of that. I don't know who's watching that stuff. Yeah, I avoided all of it, too. There's no way. So I wanted a lot of escapist TV, and I wanted a lot of things Mm -hmm. that weren't going to require me to do any thinking. Or I was watching a lot of stand-up comedy, where I knew it's a half-hour or hour commitment, and I'm done, and I'm going to maybe laugh a couple times. And, you know, now I'm recording this with you in mid-May, and I'm thinking, you know, there was that really dark Amazon show called Zero 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 about drug dealers told from the perspective of the dealers and then the distributors and then the mafia. Mm-hmm. I think I could go for that now. I could, I could take on a little more weight. That's so funny because I have also been watching either things that make me completely forget that there is a pandemic going on right now, whether it's a comedy or something that happens in a different world than than our current Earth world. Mm-hmm. But I just started watching Unorthodox, and that is a dark show, at least in the very first few episodes. I heard it's great. I mean, it's great so far, but it, it's the first time that I feel like, you know what, I think I can handle this. Yep. 
Yep. But otherwise, I've been watching, you know, TV shows like Netflix Sex Education and High Fidelity on Hulu, you know, those kinds of things that feel a little bit lighter. Yeah, but I think people are just watching. Uh, you know, something I have noticed is I'm watching people talk about the fact that they've got all this time now to, and they've gone through all their Netflix and they're bored. And I keep thinking, everyone's different, but I feel like I got a lot less time. Like the work from home and help the kids learn thing is is not a not a blast. Uh, so my time <laughs> is quite limited. But again, I'll, I'll I'll claim some of that back eventually, and I and I'm happy to be able to work. There is no discernible trend except people want to watch stuff. So you have shows like Tiger King from Netflix doing really well, but you also have a show called Spencer, Spencer Confidential, I think it was called, which is just a dumb Mark Wahlberg movie that did really well. There is an ultra-violent movie starring Chris Hemsworth, who's better known as Thor to most people. This is an extraction. So who the play is? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? That's on Netflix. That is going to be Netflix's most popular movie ever. Oh, wow. Uh, they're going to do something like 90 million people watched it in the first four weeks. It's incredibly violent. People have their eyes gouged out with rakes. Like, it's not a, a fun time for a lot of people. And people are willing to watch that. They will watch anything. I'd rather watch a movie like the half of it on Netflix, which is just a complete delight. The good thing about being different in a town like this is that no one expects you to be like them. I'm 17. I live in Squamish with my dad. I guess I just never thought I'd need anyone else. Uh, you know what I do want to watch? For I don't know if you want to if you want to bridge like uncomfortable but also entertaining. Fauda. Mean. It's an action show about uh, like undercover Israeli commandos. It's dense and like like allowed them to see the Palestinians as human mm. beings at mm-hmm. the same time. No, that sounds interesting. I think the thing that I'm wondering is, is it time for me to finally watch The Sopranos? Oh, I re-binge watched that a year ago. Really? All right. Maybe maybe it's time for me to finally dive in. It's really good. I highly recommend it. All right. Peter Kafka is a senior correspondent for Recode and the host of the podcast Recode Media. Peter, thank you. Thank you. So last week, I tweeted out a question to Reset listeners. I wanted to know what folks are watching right now, and which streaming services they might have subscribed to because of the pandemic. And we got some pretty great answers. Hi, this is Ace from the Bronx. I resubscribed to the Disney Plus Hulu bundle so I could watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The most embarrassing thing I just watched was Rachel Weisz spitting into Rachel McAdams' mouth in disobedience. I purchased a new Apple TV because it came with a year free of Apple TV Plus itself. Uh, I signed up for Crunchyroll because I wanted to get into anime a bit more. And I wanted a wide access of different ones that I could watch. I actually jokingly told all my friends that Netflix contacted me and awarded me a certification of completion because I watched everything available. My life has been filled with a lot of 90 Day Fiancé, and I have become an expert at season 10 of Married at First Sight on Lifetime. That's it for today's show. I'm Ariel Zimros, and this is Reset. 
We publish episodes three times a week, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.